When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain Spot Podcast Sports Book of the Year Edition. Hi Ken. Hi Owner. Hi Murph. Hello there guys. Good, I'm excited and I get the sense that certainly a portion of our listeners are always very excited about this show. It seems to be the most requested one of the year. The one where people tweet us and ask us, when are you going to have this guys? Why is that? Because they want to know what Christmas friends to buy. It, 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 that's basically it, isn't it? I mean, it's just down to laziness. Oh, and by the way, hello again to all of our listeners. It's down to laziness on all of your parts. Uh, it, it, what's weird, though, is that I often find that they're very anxious, say, that we leave it at just this year. You know, they, they didn't pull up all of last year's books. There are still some good books there last year. And just so our listeners know that we're not in the, you know, in the clutches of big book, big publishing. Yeah, big I want to tell, tell you about the best uh, publishing purchase that I made this year. Yeah. Well, I didn't make it. My wife made it, but she bought a Kindle. Oh right. Well, I, this could be you're in controversial territory now. You know, not everyone is. Not everyone agrees that uh, Kindle is necessarily a good thing for the publishing industry. But continue. Listen, I'm a book lover, a bibliophile, again, yeah. if if you will. Yeah. Uh, but when I've spent a lar- well more time, perhaps than I'd care to admit, trying to read George Plimpton's books, right? Uh-huh. And uh, one Christmas, I said to my wife, I said, you know what? Don't, nothing big this year. Just, you know, a couple of copies of those George Plimpton books. That'd be amazing. Mm -hmm. She went on Amazon. Both of them were over $100 each. Uh, (laughs) So I I said it's probably best just to scrap that. But on Kindle, $3.99. You can't beat that, Ken. You can't beat that with a stick. Doesn't this man know? Does this clown not realise that the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2 is not available on Kindle? It's a hard copy. Yeah. And he's pushing people away. Well, I mean, you're you're talking about... Print this. I mean, this the our book is it's, it's an illustrated. It's, yeah, it's illustrated to within an inch of its life. I yeah. mean, it's it's a visual feast for the eye. It's unkindleable. Well, you know, like Kindle sales of like Kindles and you know e-readers have have gone down yeah. over the last couple of years. Yeah, it kind of seemed like the people who were, who had gotten on board just got on board, and that was it. 
Uh, yeah, I think actually it just has to do with the phones becoming so large that people use them. You know, you know, Kindle, Kindle-sized phones. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I find them very convenient actually, just because you know of the size and not having to carry around like a billion books, and also that it's searchable, which is pretty handy. But again, uh, I know that there are some issues there. There's the Amazon control. There's there's a kind of uh, should uh, should we be participating in this monopolization of the book market just because it's so convenient? And even from the consumer's point of view, Ken, I've just called myself a consumer, from the reader's point of view, hmm. I'm old-fashioned on this one, i got to say. I like the feeling of the buying smell, a book. I like the feel of the, of the book, the smell of the book. Mm. I didn't like when that guy was drinking popcorn beside me in a bookshop last week, as I mentioned, but listen, I'm yeah. for that. That could have happened anywhere. That wasn't necessarily the book industry's fault, but I just don't know why he kept drinking his popcorn. And you know what? You know, the more I think about it, it's actually just the $96 that I saved on those two George Clinton books that really (laughs) has me batting for the candle. That was good good savings. I mean, you go go into a second-hand bookshop, you buy a perfectly decent copy of a book for €3. I mean, Hmm. you know, what's the difference? Anyway, we've got a sports book. (laughs) (laughs) It's that little man bag you carry around, you know? Yeah. You can't stuff it with too many books. It's true. We've got our sports book of the year list down to five. We're going to go through the top five today. We'd be far too polite to mention our own second captain sports annual volume two in such exalted company. So let's mention it right now instead. Volume one of the second captain sports annual volume two plus volume two of the second captain sports annual volume two. (laughs) (laughs) Really should have thought this promo out a little bit further in advance but the point is information just get the information across on stop gabbling on 20 euro for both 20 20 euro in total 20 euro each I hear hear people say no 20 euro in total for both volume 1 and volume 2 you're going to hear about some good books in the next while if you find better value than that so you're getting you're getting volume 1 for 2 euro that's it 70.99 is the volume 2 price fair price I would say at the best of times and now we're throwing in volume 1 for 2 euro Ah, God, on our generosity truly knows no bounds. We do want to get these to you by Christmas. I'm sure that's what you probably want as well. So just check the cutoff dates, which we will post on the website. All the information will be there on the website anyway, secondcaptains.com. Books are selling out fast, so do get on there uh, as soon as you we can. Should, we should add the Wild Stocks last rejoinder there. Hit it. I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody f***ing with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. Today's going back down from Aberdeenshire in Scotland. Email secondcaptains at irishtimes.com to apologise in advance to all concerned except Ken. I found myself listening to today's football podcast only to hear Ken cheerfully refer to beleaguered Liverpool goalkeeper Laurius Carius as Kingslayer this from last week. I cannot know the inner workings of a mind such as Ken's, but being the simple fool that I am, I'd have to think he was attempting to draw on the similarity of the given name Loris to that of famed Sir Loris. Sir Loris. Sir Loris, yeah. The Knight of Flowers. Potentially a worthwhile reference to A Song of Ice and Fire. However, as any self-respecting scum with a passing knowledge of that series would tell you, Jamie Lannister was the Kingslayer. Loris Tyrell was a staunch defender of his kings, commonly known across Westeros as the Knight of the Flowers. Mm. Ken's reference was a lamentable failure. Well... Uh, you got we're, it wrong. We're, we're, we're getting deep into... I didn't get it wrong. Wrong. No, he, he got it wrong. Dan? Uh, it's Dan from Aberdeen. Dan. Dan got it wrong. Because the comparison between um, 
Loris Carius and Jamie Lannister was simply based on appearance. It wasn't a reference to Loris. We have previously referred to him as Sir Loris, um, the devastatingly handsome uh, Liverpool goalkeeper. Uh, but on this occasion, uh, it was uh, simply. Also, oh, Sir Loris is, is known as the Kingslayer, then. That's what you're saying, no, is it? No. Well, then it kind of seems like Sir you Loris have made a mistake, then, Sir that you were wrong, that you spoke incorrectly. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. Or Game of Thrones. No, I uh, said Loris Kingslayer carries because he looks a bit like the Kingslayer, and there's two Ks there, one after the other. So it sounds pleasing to me. <laughs> and uh, on this occasion, there was no reference to Sir Loris. So. Basically, you're accusing me of a mistake that I never even had in mind. The entire, Apology accepted, Dan. The entire rest of the podcast is going to be dedicated to our book chat, so we might as well do this now. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you shiny man? Well, and we, today we talked to uh, David Stubbs uh, about his book 1996 and the end of history. Uh, 1996 was a big year, a big turning point, you could say, in the history of um, popular culture, um, politics, a lot of. Kind of a bit of a sliding doors here. And football, of course. Uh, a big year for football. We talked to David about all that stuff. And we talked also about all the Premier League matches that happened. Ronaldo winning the Ballon d'Or, all that kind of stuff. Let's talk sports books of the year. Couldn't possibly have this chat without Maliki Clerken. Maliki, how are you? I'm good. All right, lads. People like this kind of chat because of the escapism that is provided by delving <laughs> into the sports pages. Uh, especially in 2016, I guess people might be looking for a bit of this. Is there, tell us, is there a lot of good cheer about on the shelves this year? Well, there's certainly, you know, you can certainly escape into these books. You probably want to escape back out of them after a <laughs> while. Um, they're a particularly depressing lot this year, you know, and I guess there's a bit of a trend over the years, you know, certainly with autobiographies. You see, autobiographies tend to dominate the, the landscape, mm. and definitely over the last sort of 10 years, where people were just so bored of bland autobiographies and therefore sports people kept coming out with ones with more and more depth to them which is sort of shorthand or has become shorthand for more and more darkness and more and more you know kind of misery and uh you know you end up with a lot of books that that really sort of go heavy on the on the real sort of struggle or, you know, the stuff in people's private lives that you don't see on the pitch and all of that sort of stuff. Is that not what we ask for, though? As <sighs> Even as sports fans, I remember years ago there'd be, uh, there'd be this yearning for truth, you know? Searing so, honesty. Stop giving yeah. us Wayne Rooney's six books by the yeah. time he's 21 or whatever it might be. So are we not just reaping what I, we've sowed as ex- sports uh, sure. fans? Sure. Totally, I, I'm, I, I, I don't have any particular problem with it. With it in any particular book. Mm. Um, it's more that as a sort of a glut of books that that you know that I sort of start in kind of mid October every year, really getting stuck into. Um, every once in a while, you'd want one that's a bit of crack, you know. And and there are there are very few that are any crack this year. Yeah, is the way to put it. I mean that that kind of mania for. You know, can't find the darkness, the embarrassing thing. I mean, it's not a book from this year, but Brian O'Driscoll's book mm. had this story which was kind of put up front and centre about like this 
Jape in New York yeah. where he ended up spending five minutes, you know, in custody. And I was like, why is this even in here? <laughs> it's it literally like they were trying to find, I'm trying to find some kind of a speck, uh, you know, uh, in, the, in the sort of sunny, uh, the, 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 the sunshine that is this man's life. Mm. It's kind of like, there's no, there's no point. I mean, it's just... Well, there is a point, as you say, it was put front and centre and loads of people talked about it and it got possibly added to book sales a little bit. May, maybe it did. I, I just thought, is that it? Is that is that really? <laughs> we searched for months, you know, perhaps even years, for the the dark side yeah. that, that people want. It's like Brian Brian O'Driscoll's life, you know, his his professional life, his kind of youth, doesn't really have a dark side. It's just one of those <laughs> one of those kind of stories of of a dude for whom things have happened have worked out so far. What, what's wrong with that story? <laughs> well, our list this year, just having a look at it, you might be right, Malik. Even what, we've whittled it down to five books for this chat we've got gambling addiction alcoholism a tragic death at a young age this is the book that you're going to be talking about in detail uh, a little bit later so yeah there's a little bit of darkness although some of them are presented in different ways we might as well start with start down in the depths of Carl McCarran's Out of Control Mm. which is certainly the most controversial sports book of the year one of the best ones one of the most uh, well not the I was was going to say one of the most enjoyable books that's definitely not true one of the best in that it provides uh a really searing insight into what can happen when somebody's brought down by gambling. Just to start with that before we get into something. Now, this is a well-known intercounty GA player talking about an addiction that brought him to a point in his life where it made sense for him to act in a gay porn movie for £3,000 sterling and then to go out and buy a Yorkie bar to f- try to stave off the hunger and then immediately gamble the rest of it. It could be... Like, in some ways, this is the darkest sports book I've read. The ones, The obvious comparisons are... Paul McGrath, Paul Back McGrath, from the Brink, yeah. is is a big comparison, and Ushie McConville, the gambler. I, I just sensed with McGrath, there was it was quite unrelenting as well. But but there's something about this that McGrath. Well, there, was the, there was the giant stadium, you know. There was Italia ninety uh, in Paul McGrath's story. You yeah. know what I mean? O- albeit not that much, but there yeah. was. Yeah, I know what I you know, mean. You know, Ushie, Ushie's won All Ireland finals, and that was talked through as well mm. you know there was for whatever for however you want to paint it and you're equating you know sporting victory mm. up against you know the most harrowing personal difficulties that you can be into but as a reader you know there's moments of light relief you know there's there, there's you can take a breath <laughs> yeah, yeah. and enjoy the sport whereas with McCarran. I mean, the Tyrone football, the violence of, of the club Tyrone football club Tyrone, as, I, think, I don't know if you've that was the best like, crack in it. said that yeah. this is this is this is the fun part. <laughs> it would be the dark chapter in any anybody else's book. Like, uh, Bernard Driscoll, it's, it's, Bernard Driscoll <laughs> would have made a lot of hate. It is crazy, by the way, and it obviously would would get lost in this book. Yeah. But the, the descriptions of some of the stuff that goes on in Tyrone is absolutely bonkers. Um, I, on McGrath's book, I do remember writing a, a long review of McGrath's book, and I. I can't quote the closing paragraph verbatim, but the thrust of it was, this is a really good book. I don't know if I could recommend it to anybody. Mm. You know, I don't know if I would ever give it as a present or, you know, give it to a friend and say, you need to read this. Like, because it was really harrowing. It was. Really really tough going. And this is really tough going. And and I guess, you know, the difference, I know Paul Kimmins was writing about this in the Sunday Endo a few weeks back. What's the difference between McCarran and McGrath? McGrath is a national hero, you know, he's a national treasure kind of thing and, and people want to forgive an awful lot with him or even beyond forgive, they want to see all the good, you know, uh, if if we didn't know about the gambling, Kyle McCarran would be uh, known as a, a hardy Ulster cornerback who gets the odd All-Star nomination and, mm. uh, you know, you know, is one of the typical Tyrone cornerback, like he's not... 
you know, he's, he's he's not a big name. He's no sort of bank of credit with with anybody outside of his his own circle. You the, know? the other point I thought, I mean, I remember that piece by Paul Kimmage, and the other thing that struck me, and I haven't read Colin McCarran's book. Mm. I mean, I didn't know who Colin McCarran is exactly. You know, yeah. before this happened, whereas you know McGrath, but also McGrath had this um, such a sad story of his his childhood. Mm. You know, and he was he was put into an institution. You know, the scenes in McGrath's book of him. He, his his mother and sister coming to visit him and then leaving him behind yeah. in the in the orphanage, you know, and he's kind of like, why are they leaving me here, you know? And that and and it kind of, it was a bigger, I mean, it's it's Pomegranate, it's the story of Pomegranate's life, but it was also a story kind of about Ireland and how Ireland treated people. Fair point. And I think people in Ireland definitely felt on some level a kind of collective guilt about what happened with Pomegranate. Like he was a victim of this country and the way that this country. Uh, the way that this country treated uh, certain people, and you know, I mean, I think, I think, Kimmage was was arguing, for instance, oh McGrath, you know, he did all these terrible things, and and you know, which he recounts in his book, um, you know, when people forgive him, I think that's that's part of it, you know, because mm. because yeah. there's a kind of <clears throat> consciousness that that Paul McGrath at a young age was damaged by this country and the way that it was organised and, yeah, and and people are, are willing to give him, give him a pass. Maybe Colin McCarran was too. I don't, I don't well, really well, know, but well, that well, seemed like an obvious difference to me. In, McCar- in McCarran's case, in talking about childhood, his what he says is that his family, his parents were breaking up for quite a long time. Well, they, they probably should have broken up. Uh, sorry, I'm saying that. They were, ha- they were having fairly vicious arguments and so on and stayed together for tried to stay together for the good of the family all that kind of thing but that they uh, he said as kids we saw things we shouldn't have seen and that that impacted him in a way so that's not something that you could latch onto at a national level but that's yeah I, I, par- I, partly explains what he in, in his mind what set him onto a destructive enough kind of a path the, you know the the issue I guess is how he's not a likable character in the book we had him in here and he seemed to me to be a perfectly pleasant guy reading the book itself that's not how he comes across there's so much violence in there for a start. There's non-stop yeah. violence. Brawls with drug pushers with yeah. baseball bats up yeah. north, punching a guy outside a chipper, getting in a fight with a bouncer in Temple Bar. And that was only a relatively recent case. It was only heard in the last couple of months. He says, for me, anger is another form of addiction. I can suppress it, but it'll always be part of my makeup. It feels like, while he's a pains to say that he doesn't use his gambling addiction as an excuse for anything, he he does talk about it in that context. I, 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 I couldn't quite get to the couldn't wrap my head fully around why his gambling addiction was leading him to and still is when he's when he seems to be on top of the addiction is is still in his life leading him to these violent incidents well, think, yeah and and that that's a there that uh, that's a hard circle to square and i actually don't think he 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 does square it in the book and i'm not sure he actually really tries that that hard what i give him credit for and christy o'connor is every time you go and write a book and especially a sports person's autobiography, um, you have you have control. You know, the, you are the one that starts with the blank page, and you're the one that finishes with the two hundred pages. So the version of yourself that you present to the world is within your control, um, and I think he deserves credit for. He has not painted himself as a nice guy here. You know, there's like there's actually very little in it that's that's sort of redemptive, or there's very little in it. Even you, you know, even the, uh, the latter years where he has he has sort of beaten gambling, and you know, as he as he told you when he was in here, he 
did his last bet on April Fool's Day. Mm. 2014, I think it was. So, you know, even even that, even coming out the other side of that, which is incredibly difficult, as anybody who knows anything about addiction is, you know, even those years have been coloured by this story with the 15-year-old girl and, yeah. and the Tinder and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I, I think he the book, on a, on, a, on a purely technical, basic level, I think the book deserves credit and the authors deserve credit for painting this picture of him and not, you know, they didn't shave the edges. They didn't, you know... Mince words. Yeah, like they didn't... didn't. I, I think it is, for for all that he's... I don't know how how much people trust him as a person. Um, it does seem to be a pretty honest account, you know, and, and look, it's a, it's a very readable book. But, it, but as with McGrath 10 years ago, I don't know if I would ever say to somebody here, you should read this. You won't feel great reading it, put it that way. You, you, yeah. you probably won't like him that much. You will get a fascinating insight into yeah. the tortured mind of an addict. Kieran Donahue, what do you think of that by Kieran Shannon? This won the Air Sport Book of the Year award, didn't it? Yeah, and a, and a bit of light into the uh, into the list here, I think, Owen. Um, because the, the book... But we've talked about this all the time, you know, the, that you have an idea of sports people. And when you get to Paul O'Connell, I think you'll say the book reflects pretty closely what you would, mm. you know, both the public perception of Paul O'Connell. And, you know, if you've ever met Paul O'Connell, that's kind of what he's like. Well, I think the book, Kieran Donahue's book uh, does that as well with Donahue because he even admits it himself inside the first, I think, 20 or 30 pages. I think anyone who's ever played against me or maybe he's watching me from the stand, thinks I'm a terrible bollocks or whatever. But if you spend any time with me, uh, then I think, you know, you'll, you'll grow to like me. And I think if you spend time with this book, you'll end up liking Kieran Donahue for yeah. better or worse. I yeah. I, I think, you know. 100%. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think it's... it's uh, Shannon does a brilliant job of just capturing, you know, Donahue in all of his kind of... Uh, we would have met him a couple of times doing the TV show and in here for the book and at various other things. And he's just a really garrulous character and a very, very nice guy who kind of sums up a lot of kind of the... He he he, he kind of has the that Kerry cute-whore thing, but he also kind of sends it up at the same time as well. Mm. And you can't help but like the guy. And I think that at the end of this book, you can't help... Uh, you can't help but but liking Kieran Donahue either. Just yeah, long before sorry, the end. Yeah. Long before the end. And and actually, it goes back to a little bit what, what we were talking about with, with uh, McCarran's book. Everybody has choices when they go to write these books. Now, Kieran Donahue's childhood was just as bleak as Kyle McCarran's. You know, he had an alcoholic father uh, who was from Tyrone, coincidentally. Um, but, you know, had broken up from his mother, um, basically kidnapped him one night in the dead of night and took him driving the whole way to Tyrone, ran out of petrol and pulled into a ditch where they had to cover the car with branches and, and wait for the sun to come up uh, before he could bring Donahue up to up to his grannies. You know, like, they're pretty dark stuff. Donahue introduces his father in the second chapter, um, does, a, does a chapter on him, and he is there in the background throughout the rest of the book, but the book isn't weighed down by it. You know, he, he, there's no, it's not misery lit. It's not, oh my God, look at me, poor Kieran Donaghy, look what I had to fight through to get to get to where I am today. He talks about it very candidly, really, and, 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 and uh, as an explanation of 
what it's like to be the kid of an alcoholic who who you love and who you want to have a good relationship with, but who you hate at times as well. Really, really well told, really interesting. But then he moves on, moves on with his life. And I, as I say, he could have chosen not to. He could have chosen to let the whole book, let that be a scene throughout the whole book. But it's actually the force of his personality wins out. And it's, a, it's an enjoyable book because of it. And the sporting career is very yeah. phenomenal as well. The, we had him in with Mike Quirk talking about the basketball side of things because it's a side that we wouldn't have known as well. But and we probably glossed over the Gaelic football. Sometimes the way yeah. when you're talking to yeah. the person who's really well known for something, you end up talking very little about about what they're well known for. We'll get to Paul O'Connell's swim career. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's probably fair enough. But I think he recounts again. You know, when you're reading some some autobiographies of, of these top level sports people, and they're talking about their doubts, you're not sure. Are they just not that they're inventing these doubts, but they seem very minor. It seems like yeah. this person's just been very successful and sometimes maybe they're not quite sure. But Donnie, it seemed pretty real that he was a basketballer mm-hmm. who was playing Gaelic football. And in Kerry, exactly. it's, it's not like you're a basketballer playing Gaelic football yeah. in, in any other county, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. You're, it's, it's like, how can this basketballer play, whatever about playing midfield, full forward? Get out of that. There's not sure a chance. Jesus, we have, don't we have footballers? Yeah, exactly. What do we need this fella for? That's how it's kind of seen. So that sort of evolution, it all seems so inevitable now. But yeah, and I, I think yeah. in, in ways, you know, the like the Gaelic football um, route to success, you know, the Gaelic footballer route to success is so, you know, it's so, you know, like I had two years playing minor and then, mm. you know, I had uh, two and a half years playing under 21 and, you know, I, w- I was lucky enough to win an All-Ireland at minor and then, you know, we lost an All-Ireland final in heartbreaking circumstances yeah, in the, yeah. at under 21. And, you know, it's like, this is not exactly, you know, uh, the greatest uh, comeback story that you've ever heard. You know what I mean? That, like, the the idea that, that people get missed, you know, that the... the Jamie Vardy doesn't even happen in Gaelic football, you know, like that that idea that you can be 28 or 29 and then be discovered. I mean, the path is very clearly laid out for young Gaelic footballers. And it's actually kind of refreshing to hear Donaghy talk about he was literally the last man into the the Kerry minor team mm. and you know he went through the underdogs and Yeah, 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 the, the, like there is there there is something refreshing about reading that as opposed to kind of just you know the the, the gilded youth of uh, well of what, your Gucci, what Gucci's book will be when yeah. when mm-hmm. when it comes out you know and you know he, he he's another guy he will be like he will bring out a book whenever he retires I would presume and but he was he was the gilded youth like he was he he was the amazing minor footballer like my cousin is from Killarney he told me about Gooch when Gooch was like 13 kind of thing yeah, yeah, you yeah. know and so this is his his un, uh, uh, his uh, story of uh, hardship is being slightly undersized yes exactly you know <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. similar actually Maliki to the point you make about his dad and how he appears in the book and his dad is a fascinating character yeah. so it's unbelievable that, that relationship is amazing and how it evolves over the over the course of their of, of his life Kieran Donnie's life similar to that in a way, is how he deals with the dyslexia. His dyslexia mm. in the book, again, as you mentioned, it's fashionable for sports people now to talk about things in a personal life, challenges that they have to overcome, and you're nearly expecting it mm. in each book at, at this point when you're reading it. Something like that. It just it, there's a good tone to it. There's a it, there's he he deals with it. He says it it's been uh, an issue for him, 
but in some ways it's, it's helped. He says it happens sometimes with people who suffer from dyslexia. They become more open in how they communicate verbally, which I thought was really interesting. Even how he has the book designed. There are I illustrations thought that was really in there. Touch. There's, there's, there's yeah. a few little bits there that are going to make it easier for mm. people who have uh, have dyslexia. Yeah, to, and he was, to I remember him talking to you and he was, he was saying he was... He, he wrecked the publisher's head saying, I need more photos, I need more photos. Like, <laughs> it's a good argument to yeah, win, I suppose. It's like, you couldn't, you, you can't really dislike the guy. And I know, I know a lot of people on Hill 16 might disagree. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we mentioned the, you mentioned, Murph, the famed swimmer, Paul O'Connell, mm. well known for his underage swimming career. I've achieved a few things after that, but we didn't bother too much with that. Uh, Ken <laughs> wanted to speak to him about one subject and one subject only. This is... I suppose it's the, it was the, it was the Brian O'Driscoll was the the big name last year. Paul O'Connell is the big name this year. How did you find O'Connell's book? I loved it. Um, I he, he's and it's such an interesting guy, O'Connell. Um, w- when I used to be on the rugby beat and I got to interview him one on one a couple of times, um, any time I'd talk to him, we'd spend the first ten minutes talking about what sports books we were reading because yeah. he's mad into it like and he'd always be he'd always be going like what what have you got what like he'd always go what's on the William Hill list this year is there any, anything that I, and he was always kind of going is there anything that I'd get anything out of that was always his thing because I remember giving him a book one year uh, do you remember the Gary Imlach the guy who used to present yeah, the yeah, American yeah. football my he, father and other working class heroes exactly yeah. yeah really brilliant uh, book about um, you know soccer players football players it, like was it post-war or pre-war around that you know sort of 40s or 50s or whatever um, and I, I really loved that book and I gave it to O'Connell and about a year later I said well what do you think of that and he kind of went yeah that's your kind of book that's not my <laughs> kind of book what have I got to get out of this melody <laughs> that was exactly it he wanted stories of struggle and all this kind of stuff so I w- was always going to be really interested in the sort of book he brought out and the book he brought out is exactly the kind of book that I would have imagined he would bring out you know it's it's almost um, like it's almost a kind of a, a textbook on high performance sport more so than an autobiography. Like, you know, if if you want to find out how, you know, the Grand Slam was won in 2009, go and read some of the other lads, the other 75 lads that have brought out books about it. Because O'Connell, I'd say, I'd say he does it in about three pages. Like, And he doesn't really dwell on Munster's kind of struggle for the Heineken Cup, all of that kind of stuff. He mentions them, he goes, you know, tells a few yarns behind them, but doesn't really but what what it's far more about is how he pushed himself how he kind of carried himself through his life in sport and how what was in his head all the way through and like I, I like there's so many um coaching manuals around and you know uh, like I know Enda McNulty has a book out about I think it's called Committed and it's all all this sort of stuff about you know improving yourself and being the best you that you can be and all that kind of stuff and and I, and I know people kind of get bogged down with jargon and all that sort of stuff I would send them towards this book as a book for and it doesn't matter what sport you're into as a book for how somebody gets the absolute most out of themselves and what it does to them because that that the, the most interesting parts of this book were what it did to him making him anxious and miserable in the build up to almost every Everything. game for most of his career yeah. <laughs> and like you know and and uh, like the bits where he'd be kind of going home in the car wondering am I too much of a pain in the arse for the rest of them now 
and you're and yeah, he probably was. You know, there's no doubt if about it. If you're asking it. that question of yourself, <laughs> yeah. you're probably no. Yeah. If you're asking that question of yourself, you're probably not. <laughs> you think? I think the real pains in the arse never ask themselves, <laughs> "Am I too much of a pain in the arse?" You know, like sure. you wouldn't have that sort of self-reflection. You know? Yeah, but I mean, I when I was reading it, I was kind of, you know, I'll tell you what, actually what I was waiting for was. Well, you know, what's the big struggle here? You know, like, what's the, <laughs> you know, like, what is, what's the hook here? What's then, the battle? You know? Yeah, and, yeah. The, there is no, like, grand battle. And by the end of the book, I actually really enjoyed it. But halfway through, I was like, ah, I don't know, like, am I getting anything from this, really? Uh, but by the end of it, I was like, well, this is the guy. You know, the guy has written a book that is, like, really earnest, like, unbelievably yes. earnest. Uh, and it's also just, like, this is his story. These, these are the tales that he has, and he tells them really well. And, like, in little details, funnily enough, after I've read it, like, four or five weeks after I've read it, I'm still remembering things from the book, thinking, mm. God, that really is strange. You know... What, like what? In the t- during the 2005 Lions tour to New Zealand, he took up smoking. Yeah. You know, so oh, he, yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> He's, like, standing out in the balcony in New Zealand during this really, like, tense time, and he just, he starts smoking. And then, the, but like the real Paul O'Connell thing about it is that he then became like the best brusher of teeth that he could possibly be. <laughs> like he took that to the nth well, degree. When he brushed his gums, he got back to the dentist. The and was like, sorry, buddy, you've kind of, you've wrecked your gums, gums here. Yeah, yeah. This, this, but this you know what? And, and you're exactly right, Marv. And what, what I have found interesting in about, ex- almost about, about that exact anecdote, because it really jumps out of the book. Yeah, there yeah, are very, yeah, you know there aren't there aren't too many you know kind this of. This really is the dark side of the polygonal. No, more the so, there's the light side. This is oh, yeah. the this is the kind of ho 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 because like that part that chapter ends with the dentist saying you've brushed your gums away kind of thing, yeah. right? So every, more or less every interview that he has done to sell the book, and I saw him do some on the BBC, and I saw him do some around the place. He's kind of had to go back over that story. You can see he's really embarrassed about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He really doesn't kind of want to get it. He kind of goes, yeah, I kind of brushed my gums away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I took up smoking. Yeah, it's kind of stupid thing to do. Yeah. And you're kind of going, I, I think I get the sense that it really annoys him that that's what people have pounced on. Yeah, that yeah. He, that he spent all these years kind of putting together this book about the struggle of trying to be very good at this thing. Mm. And all people want to talk about is that time I brushed my gums. Away. It is yeah. interesting you know? how you talk about how he feels he's viewed by other people not wanting to be seen as a pain in the arse by them or just worrying that he was being seen as a pain in the arse because that's something that I, I felt during the book I was quite struck by how much he cared about what other people thought mm. in the sense that he tells a story for example the big win at Har- Harlequins that time mm. he'd been injured for a long time came back Heineken Cup quarterfinal was it at the time yeah. and they played Harlequins away he played unbelievably well they beat them and if you remember he had his index finger in the air like we're number one sort of thing which was uh, the extended effort the, the arrogance. arrogance this is it that's what he said I, I, at the end of the game I put my right hand in the air with my index finger pointing straight. I hated that picture afterwards <laughs> it looked arrogant I still don't know where the gesture came from maybe I was drunk on euphoria and relief whatever it was seeing that picture bugged me and took away a lot of the satisfaction from the game it's just amazing like, yeah, isn't right. it? You know? But he, you know, when he was in here with us on three separate occasions, he said, "Oh, sorry, I'm just rambling on here." Yeah. We're like, "Oh, no, no, and he really wasn't <laughs> ramble on." He, he yeah. wasn't at all. Yeah. We and we we were kind of like, "No, I mean, that's that's really no problem. Just spill your brains here on yeah. the table. We just want to hear." But uh, you know, I mean, 
to the idea of someone with that kind of status kind of saying, "Oh, sorry, I've I've gone on for too long." Mm. There's not many people. Yeah. There's not there's not many people on that kind of status level who would who would yeah. apologize for. Yeah, and I know, I I think maybe is it something to do with the fact that he's just so gigantic as a person that he's like he's anxious to kind of just like not you know, just kind of hide away. Like, he doesn't want to, anyone to be looking at him. Well, he banged his head on the way in, remember Yeah, that? which in itself in, is, in this you know, like, that's, that is the most, that is the battle that Paul O'Connell is destined <laughs> to lose for the rest of his life. Against low-hanging beams. Yes, and also, people not wanting to, you know, tell him how brilliant he is. You know, like, that's the, I think that's the battle for the next 40 years, is for Paul O'Connell to somehow come to terms with the fact that people think he's a really, really good guy and was a brilliant rugby player. It's also from uh, the point of view of an insight into the teams he played for, as Maliki mentioned, he doesn't get into the victories at all. What he does get into in a lot of detail is the decline of Munster. He took over as captain, they were still achieving their success, and then he's sort of in charge for a lot of the lean years. And I think that's really interesting. It's the first book that I've read that's dealt with that in any sort of coherent fashion or any sort of detailed fashion he's talking about Rob Penny he's talking about these kind of characters and what they did right and maybe what they got wrong so if you're a Munster fan if you're a Munster fan you're reading Paul O'Connor's book why am I selling this twice already but the thing thing about him is as well you can get his intelligence from reading it but you can also get his like he's so really incredibly perceptive Mm. like he had a brilliant almost devastating paragraph about the difference between Eddie O'Sullivan and Declan Kidney which and people have been writing about the difference between them for 10 years. But in, in like two lines, he said something along the lines, I can't remember it exactly, but he said something like th- that Eddie wanted everybody to do what he told them. He wanted everybody to live by his game plan. Declan wanted to tell us something for us to go away, argue about it, and then come up with, in the end, what he was thinking about all along. Or it's something along those lines. Yeah. And it was a really perceptive insight into the difference between the two of those that makes you kind of wonder, right, what's he going to do for the rest of his life? Is he going to be... I came away from the book thinking that he's going to coach that, and that's it. Like, he, you know, he, I'd say he'll do a bit of punditry for a while, but his, his future is, is in a dressing room. It's, it's really, you know, being annoying the arses out of players for generations to I would, come. I would be concerned about being a player <laughs> under Paul O'Connell. I mean, he set the bar as the best player in the team staying up until 10pm every night watching, you know, reviews of lineouts. Yeah. So that's where his bar is at for the best player in the team. <laughs> Next book. Yeah, so where's the bar for the worst player? Sorry, Murph, I completely cut across you there. I misread you. I apologise. Shut up there. Kieran, <laughs> sure you shut up. Can you start talking about Pep Guardiola, your old pal? He's well, producing another Pep. book for you this year. Well, it, it's Pep Guardiola hasn't produced this book. Uh, Pep Guardiola has merely allowed it to exist. His Boswell has. His Boswell, uh, Marty Perrinau, who has written a previous book about uh, Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola. Pep Confidential. Pep, Pep Confidential, that's the one. And this one is Pep Guardiola, The Evolution. And it's uh, it's kind of the companion volume. The first, the first book was about Pep's first season at Bayern, and this one is kind of uh, the second two seasons or the second and third seasons and kind of also a more general, all-inclusive sweep of talking about the man, the legend, the phenomenon that uh, currently is uh, fourth in the Premier League with Manchester City. And while I wouldn't say this was a good book, it is very interesting for, you know, because it's got a lot of... I mean, first of all, it's an account, like an inside story of... What's happening at one of the world's top 
clubs. I mean, right at the very top of the game. You know, this is like state-of-the-art. This is where football is at in 2014, 15, 16. And you're getting a, a real inside look and a proper inside look. I mean, I spoke to someone about who knew a bit about this. He said that uh, Marty Parnow's uh, strategy writing it was kind of to blend in. Uh, Pep, of course, had a lot of uh, staff. You know, not everyone knew who all the staff were. It's just, oh, there's one of Pep's boys. <laughs> and uh, one of them, it turns out, was a, a writer. <laughs> Scribbling away for the... But why? You know, you, you don't necessarily want to make people feel awkward as though they're, you know... I'm, I'm sorry, who are you? <laughs> this must be, you know, kind of one of Pep's gymnasts or hockey coaches or whatever. You know, he's got all, all of these kind of support stuff. Uh, and he, he got lots of uh, really interesting uh, information out of people. Now, obviously, this is... an the the He's there with the permission of Guardiola. Yeah. Uh, and you don't write what amounts to an official history of Guardiola's, you know, career. Like, it's he's documenting... The, the greatness, the unfolding greatness. Um, Pep thinks it's important enough to be documented. Now, you don't do that and, and sort of take a a really critical, detached view of things. You know, you, or at least you don't do it twice. No, you don't. You certainly, you don't do it twice. And the first time, the first time he didn't, and hence the second book, and maybe more. And I hope there are more because while you ha- while you're reading it, and you, you you obviously have to. There's a lot of moments where you're like, oh god, I can't. Oh Jesus, I can't take anymore. Oh Jesus! I can't. <laughs> and you know, and it's and it's these quotations from you know, the, the, like high, sort of high end. You know, I've spoken about this before. You know, Ferran Adria. You know, Pep's gastronomical counterpart. He thinks Pep should just step away from football altogether. To you know, to become a better, the best coach he could be, leave the game and go to MIT, decodify. You know, you, you might be going, is that not a bit extreme? Is that not a bit extreme? You know, thinking of football as an intellectual pursuit, sure, but isn't the primary job of a coach to actually coach a team? Is that not what the job is? Not to graduate to the giant space baby at the end of 2001, A Space Odyssey. <laughs> you know, which is basically what I think Marty Pardow wants Guardiola to do, to do. Gary Kasparov, you know, talking about the threat. I mean, he, he keeps coming in. He was in the first book as well. You know, obviously the, the pep of chess. Um... Uh, and you know, talking about oh, success is an imposter, you know. And then again, the book doesn't really dwell on too many failures. You know what I mean? Like there's there's almost nothing in it about getting beaten by Barcelona. It's just oh, we had a few injuries. You know, when Barcelona crushed us in the Champions League in like the climactic game of uh, you know, it was it was that was the biggest game. Messi's two goals. Remember the the, the semi final against Barcelona. That was maybe the biggest moment. That was uh, Guardiola back to his old club. Got beaten 3-0. Almost nothing in it here. You know, there's all this stuff about we lo- we learn from failures. Pep is often more angry and more thoughtful after a failure than a success. Uh, and he does. He, Marty Pernau accuses Guardiola of making a serious error of judgment. And I, I was sitting up on my chair. I was I almost had to st- stand up to read the next one. I said, oh, my God, what's, what's I'm so excited. It turns out the serious error of judgment was waiting for nearly two seasons to sack the doctor Hans Müller Wolfhard <laughs> instead of doing it on day one when he comes in for the German Super Cup the doctor tells him a couple of your players sorry yeah Neuer I don't think can play Ribery I think I think they're the players uh, yeah they, they won't be around sorry they're unavailable injured and then they're training the next day Pep says well if they're training today why couldn't they play yesterday but the serious error of judgment that he makes is saying, okay, well, not happy about that because we lost the game. 
surprised the players are available when they were supposed to be not available. I think that's weird. But in the interest of peace and harmony at this club, I will bite my lip on this occasion and work with this man, Dr. Muller-Wolfart, who's worked here since, you know, this, the 70s. Uh, and I won't sack him immediately. And Paranaya says, in hindsight, a huge mistake. <laughs> Pep should have trusted his instincts. You know, it was like the, in the first book, his, big, his biggest, the biggest mistake of his career was not trusting his instincts. When, uh, when Bayern were playing Real Madrid and they lost 4-0 at home, his players were like, boss, boss, we want to attack them. They're not that great. We're going to go out and sweep them away. We are Bayern. Pep's instinct was to be more cautious. No, wait, boys, control, balance. <laughs> but he allowed himself to be talked into this suicidal attacking game plan by the players. Guys like Philippe Lam, Thomas Muller. He let himself be talked into it. And the result was the biggest disaster of his, of his uh, managerial career. You didn't read this one, Maliki. You couldn't bring yourself to read a second Marty well, Parnell I mean, on I, Pep book. Exactly, yeah. I, you're, you're a better man than I can because I got through the first one and, and swore I'd never read another word from this. He's a totally... I find him a totally unreliable narrator. Like, I find the stuff interesting. And, and actually, as you say, you know, I, I am interested to read mm. Gary Kasparov on, on Pep. Absolutely. Like, that's... <laughs> the stuff within the quotation marks... Give me it all day. That, that's your kind of book, as Paul uh, yeah, might say. Indeed. But, uh, oh my God, it just got too much. It is too much. It is, it's it's <laughs> but I've... horrendously overweight. And now, maybe, maybe some of it's lost in translation and maybe it's just unkind to him as it goes. But, ah, oh, I could not, I could not submit to a second book. Did you not find it? I mean, I, when I read it, it's like love, affection, passion. Strange words indeed to find on the lips of a man famed for his cold-hearted detachment. <laughs> uh, or, you know, uh, or a line like, uh, you know, he's talking about Joshua Kimmich, you know, this young player who Pep said, oh, I like the, I like the look of this guy. Let's try him out in a few positions. And then it, it's like Pep training Kimmich. No, Kimmich is trying to train him to be a central defender, running around next to him in the training session. So, no, no, you've got to cover here. You've got to do And it's, it's interesting to read an account of how he, the actual mechanics of his coaching. But, you know, anyway, he, he turns Kimmich into a, at the end, they're walking off and everyone's like, oh, yeah, I think, I think Kimmich really gets it, boss. You know, great job. And Pep's, a, Pep's like, yeah, in this case, their willingness to, this Pep isn't, this is per, per now. In this case, their willingness to gamble on a high-risk strategy has proved as important as the quality of the learning process itself. Once again, life has handed Pep a lemon, and he's made lemonade. <laughs> uh, See, there, my, I, I, I actually now, listening to you, I realized what, what my problem became with the first book was I think I was reading it more or less around the time that you started talking about it on the podcast, and I ended up reading it in your voice. <laughs> your, your mocking... Uh, That's the only way you can right. read it. Yeah, exactly. And it, it just... It, and is, it <laughs> is funny if, you, if you're kind of like, this is... I mean, I, I respect, I respect this, the information in this, and I'm glad that this book exists, and I think I understand what he had to do here. What he, he, I think I understand why he's doing what he's doing here and I hope he, he gets to do another book and this is maybe the only way that could happen and if so I'm prepared to accept that as a compromise well, for I, that reason football book of the year I will, I will, <laughs> I will read the, the the subsequent books by listening to you Marty Bernau <laughs> and his two and his house with two and soon to be three extensions <laughs> so that's Pep Guardiola the evolution is looks like could be Ken's vote for a sports book of the year yeah. not going to yeah, win it I, I, again I just want to say because it, it does sound as though I've been trashing this book 
and being really and then snide about one, it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there isn't another book uh, around which will tell you this is like the top manager in the game, one of the top teams in the game. This is at the highest level, an insight into what goes on. And there is quite a lot of interesting stuff, you know, about the way Guardiola plays, which is obviously kind of high concept stuff. Um, I, you know, which if you're a pleb, like, uh, you know, all of us, uh, it's hard to know how else you're going to, you're not going to get that access yourself. He's got the access and the, you know, the way it's told is just something you're going to have to learn to find a way to enjoy. I look forward to the appearance of the third part of the trilogy in our 2017 book review. In the meantime, Pep is in the mix there. Kieran Donaghy also. We've also got Colin McCarron's book, Paul O'Connell. One more to add to that. It's another football book. Malachi, this is one that you have read. Yeah, this was my favourite book of the year, I have to say. It's Forever Young by Oliver Kay. So it tells the story of Adrian Doherty, who was a young kid from Straban, who was this brilliant schoolboy footballer in the sort of late 80s, early 90s. He was in the Man United uh, youth system at the same time as Ryan Giggs. And in the early 90s when, you know, United hadn't won the league since the 60s, since, you know, since Bobby Charlton's time and all that. And everybody went on about the 20-year gap and the 22-year gap and all of this. And Fergie in trouble and all of this sort of stuff. The sort of article of faith in the hierarchy at Man United was, well, we have some really good stuff coming through the youth system. And they weren't talking about Scholes, Beckham, uh, Neville, all these guys. They were talking about Ryan Giggs and they were talking about Adrian Doherty. Um, and this is the story of a, of a lost footballer who was 16 years old when he was sort of named on the bench for like a league cup match and was going to play um, the following week. Um, didn't get on, uh, got injured in a reserve game against Carlisle. Um, turned out to be a, a knee ligament that he never recovered from. You know, it was this is the early nineties. People didn't properly recover from them, and if they did, they were uh, like superstars. Sixteen-year-old kids just got thrown in the scrap heap. He got thrown in the scrap heap. And if it was just the story of uh, a failed footballer who never made it at Man United, and then ten years or eleven years later died, and which he did, he died. He fell into a canal in the Hague in in Holland. Um, if it was just the story of sort of chasing that ghost and, and you know, um, telling that story, that would be something. And, you know, it doesn't sound too too really interesting on the, on the face of it. You know, it sounds, ah, yeah, like Man United nerds might be into that. But, um, but the character himself, Adrian Doherty, um, Ollie Kay has done a, a brilliant job of really sort of drilling down into who this guy was. And he was this kind of kooky bohemian non-footballer basically you know like there's a great story at the start where you know the the schoolboy team or the under 15 team or under 16 team at man united they play their game on a saturday morning at 10 p.m um and in the dressing room afterwards they're all given tickets to old trafford for for the afternoon so they play whatever their game is and then they go and watch united at three o'clock this is when all the games are at three o'clock he always took his tickets went down outside Old Trafford, gave them to whoever wanted them, and then took his guitar into central Manchester and went busking for the afternoon. Like, he wanted just a really, totally... <laughs> he was not meant to be a footballer. He was meant to be a wandering kind of... Like, like a year after he left United, at like, he got a... 
like they were, when he was se- when he was about to turn seventeen, Ferguson took him into the office and offered him a five year contract. He tried to talk him down to one. He said, uh, can, "Can we just can we just do one year?" And they compromised at three, so they gave him a three year contract. Ferguson must have thought, "What is this? Totally. What's going on here?" Yeah. yeah, and like this was this this is what they thought of him. Like no one else is like the the first person ever to get a five year contract as a schoolboy at Man United was Ryan Giggs, and he w- it was offered to him three weeks after it was offered to Adrian Doherty. Mm. So like this is what they thought of him. But this was the guy. This was who you're talking about. This guy who who basically talked Ferguson down. Ah, yeah, I'll do three years. Yeah. So after three years, he left. You know, he 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 played some reserve games. He came back. He just wasn't the same. Partly it was because a new group came up underneath him. So Scholes and Nicky Butt and Beckham and all these guys arrived the following year. And so all of a sudden, that was the future. And so he was kind of put on the scrap heap a bit. But also, you kind of. He he didn't really want it that much. He didn't. Re- he certainly didn't want it like say a Beckham wanted it. You know, he wasn't he wasn't prepared to put his whole life into it. Like in the middle of it, he disappears to New York for a month to try and become a music star, playing down in Greenwich Village, like <laughs> with the Beatniks, all this sort of stuff. So he's a really interesting guy, and and to take it way back to where we were at the start, um, this is is on the face of it a fairly tragic story. You know, he didn't make it. He didn't make the big career that everybody would give the right arm for, and he died young. But it's actually not a tragic book, really, in the, because his personality is so light, he sounds really like a guy that you'd really like to know. Um, and the job done on it by, by Oliver Kay is, is terrific, and I really enjoyed it, That's I fa- have to say. Yeah, it's fascinating, because we did talk about the about this story about Adrian Doherty a few years back was it Brian Kerr we spoke to on the podcast Danny Taylor about, Danny Taylor did a piece uh, Danny Taylor had done a piece him. that yeah. was it yeah and I remember thinking this is fascinating really fa- like really really interesting but I thought it was just a piece you know I didn't I didn't when I heard this book was coming out and haven't read it yet like, you know full disclosure it's hard for all of us to read every single book yeah. but this is one I thought sounds interesting but I don't know if there's a book there and haven't got around to yet obviously I, and exactly I, I'm mistaken, that yeah. as, as I say if if all it was was the story of him not making it at Man United and dying young, then it's a piece. Then it's a it's a good mm. meaty magazine piece. But the book is a book because of his personality, because he's such an interesting guy. Okay, well, it's five strong, four strong contenders in the Pep Guardiola book. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Ken, I'm, I'm sorry. You're, 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 you're input within your value here. Ken. So uh, what are we going to go for here? The second captains with Maliki Clerken, Sports Book of the Year for 2016. Has anyone we mentioned the vote? Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2? Ah, forget it, Owen, forget ah, it. Yeah. We're, not, we're not on business. Still time to still order time for to Christmas. Order that there, yeah. Can't help but notice it didn't end up in Maliki Clerkin's well, Irish Times can't. Sports Book of the Year review, but she must have arrived at the desk too late Didn't uh, end up in Maliki Clerkin's desk, has to be said. <laughs> well, there was an issue with the postman. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get that sorted. What are we looking at? You're going definitely very definitively for Oliver Kay. Yeah, I mean, if if you want to stick to to the ones that were published in Ireland, now Adrian Doherty is from Tyrone, so it kind of counts. But I, Paul O'Connell is the best of the other ones, I think. Um, but yeah, I'd get uh, Oliver Kay is Forever Young is the best mm-hmm. book I've read this year. Uh, I think Kieran Donahue. Donnie's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Ken, Pep. I find it hard to <laughs> pick one. So you're gonna go with Pep? You're just not picking any. I mean, that's fine. It's uh, absolutely fine. You're within your rights. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, the Oscars can nominate 10 Best Picture uh, nominees if they feel that there are 10 that are worthy. If you don't feel that there are any are worthy, Ken, then that's that's fine too. Uh, I think they're all worthy. It's just impossible to pick a favourite. 
It's going to be down to me, isn't it? Yeah. I'm sitting in the hot seat here. Simon, you played the Wolf Hile too early. I haven't decided yet. I think this happened last year as well. I'm, I'm sometimes indecisive. I wish I was more decisive. In life, sometimes, Murph, I'm really getting a bit too deep here. I don't know why I'm bringing this all out, all my, my anxiety. This one, it's not that big a deal. Oh. Like just, just name a book. And, the book yeah. closest to me physically. Yeah, you've, that's a good, you brought that's in a, a good copy. way of you, You've brought in a copy of this book, Murph. Maliki's failed to bring in a physical copy. <laughs> no, I am going to go for Kieran Donny. What do you think of that? Uh, that was, just, I would say, just about from, from a couple of others, maybe O'Connell's one. But Donny's has... Particularly given the year that's in it, you've convinced me, even though you don't think it's the best book this year, Malachi, your argument earlier on about how we need a little bit of light injected into some of these books. But without being frivolous, like it's not a light book. This, no. is, this is the point. And nobody wants to read those, really, or certainly a lot of people want to read those. Most of us probably don't want to read a, a boring book about sport. That's not what this is. I think there's just, I think there's depth to it, but it's handled with a light touch. And yeah, and definitely enjoyable, which is, you know, if, at this time of the year, that's kind of all you want from, from, one of these books. Let's play the Wolf Hell thing again, so I'm going to do this much more d- decisively. Second Captains with Maggie Clerk and Sportsbook of the Year for 2016 is... Without a doubt, Kieran Donaghy. What do you think of that? Everyone agrees, yeah? Yeah. Kieran Donaghy, yeah, yeah, what do you think on. of that? All right, thanks so much. Thanks, Maggie. Cheers, lads. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Thanks, for thanks, thanks We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mal. That's the second time it's gone off. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 